0: isn't
1: working. The Wi-Fi isn't working. The Wi-Fi isn't working now. Well I I've still got three bars. I don't. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's Maybelline. Hmm.
0: Maybe it's back working now. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, as it's long nice. as it's working.
1: So let's move the phone just to, just just in and case, case the sensitivity. there's sensitivity. Yeah. Okay so um welcome to a um, well kind of special as live edition of the talking podcast um, um, we're in the media Center in Berlin and it's a new experience for me uh, I'm commenting on formula e out of my living room for the first time uh, but I, I've got a gentleman who's got considerably more experience in it than than I Uh Toby Bloom of uh, uh, .de, Sorry, um, We're not it, in Estonia. It's not It's not Estonian, it's German. Um, <laughs> the um, uh, Can we say Germany's premier independent Formula E publication?
0: Yeah, that's probably true, yeah. We have a few publications writing about Formula E, but pretty much the only one exclusively writing about Formula E. That'd be fair to say, yeah.
1: And... Um, I mean, what, what I'm feeling is a giant adrenaline come down, having done something <laughs> that may be very tense for a couple of days. Uh, is this how it normally feels when you come to a race?
0: It does, yeah. I mean, I've not been to too many races, let's be fair. Um, I've covered a lot of races, but mostly I do that out of my living room as well. Um, but when you are at races, it's always really tense working as a journalist. It's... Uh, I hate talking about me being a journalist and about my experience as a journalist because usually, as a listener, you don't experience what I'm experiencing. But working as media informer in any motorsport is really tense and you really have a lot going on every day of the weekend and that's that's exhausting. And now we're sitting here, how long has it been since the of flag? Four hours, maybe three hours not too long it really is
1: that long yes
0: and I'm I'm feeling the pressure now slightly backing off and I'm knackered hmm.
1: how about you me um, well I, I mean what I what I found is that uh, it, it was notable how much the rhythms of how I normally do things when I'm working remotely fitted in here I mean I was still live live tweeting on the race uh, I still had brakes at the same times, It's and I was still watching the same TV. It's just that there were some shiny cars going around outside that I could see from the window. Because, by the way, the media centre is right next to the uh, hairpin uh, in the middle of the track. And um, it, it's a pretty unique layout here at Tempelhof. We'll come to that in a moment. But um, the only difference, really, was that I had to maximise what I did in the brakes. So, uh, hmm. you know, you have to use the time to go and speak to people and uh, find content. But yeah, it's um, it's 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 been very interesting and a lot of fun. And you know, whatever happens from here on in, I can say that this is something that I had on my bucket list twenty-five years ago that I've done now. So that's great. <laughs> um, but uh, coming coming on to the race, I mean, it, it was it was not what I call a cracker in terms of uh, um, in in terms of it in terms of action. But I've been saying that for the last few races. I think. What we're seeing now is the Gen 2 era going away from um, instant gratification and red flags towards energy <laughs> management and tyre management.
0: Yeah.
1: Or is that just a quirk of Berlin, do you think?
0: Might be both, but you're right. FES, they haven't really slowed down in pace, but they, the teams, they've become used and accustomed to the cars, and now it's not just chaos. They are thinking about what they're doing and they're approaching the races, in my impression, a bit more conservatively and that brings a bit of, of calmness into the races. That Maybe that's, that's the word we're looking for, so the races are a bit more calm, still we see a lot of overtakes and lots of action going, out, going on on track. I wouldn't necessarily say 4A races have become boring in the last last few rounds. But, yeah, maybe they're just a bit calmer nowadays. Hmm. Nowadays, I mean, come on. Two months, we're uh, talking about a span of two months, but <laughs> nowadays, FE's Gen 2 era has become a bit more more calm and quiet. But they've also come of age, so not not in a bad way. They've, they've grown up, or starting to grow up, and starting to grow maybe in their, their adolescent days fairly intriguing, don't you
1: think, that uh, we're talking about Formula E you know, returning to its energy management roots, uh, and mm. the three people finishing on the podium are the three most successful drivers uh, of the Gen 1 era, um, and the three champions still active in the sport. Uh, some, something in that, some kind of parallel, do you think?
0: I think that experience in Formula E always has been key, and that hasn't changed with a new car experience still is everything and especially because berlin is a circuit where the energy consumption plays a huge role you have to have experience in energy management and having been in former since day one all of these three people not really day one john eric van joined two races after the first race so he was there since punta del Este, which was the third round in the inaugural season but them having been around practically since day one, that really helps. And having... How many races has it been? 56 now? 57? Or maybe less. A bit less, maybe. So all of that experience helps, and every race counts, and experience still is key, no matter whether you're driving a Gen 1 or Gen 2 car.
1: Hmm. What did you think was the key moment in the race? Uh, what? Um, I, I mean, I, I would say probably because he was able to pull out a sizable lead afterwards. Probably Degrassi overtaking on I think it was uh, lap 3 of the race.
0: Very early, yeah. Mm. But he had pace in the early stages. He, I mean, he, he always had pace, and afterwards he just managed it and kind of slowed down, managed the gap, and especially managed his energy. Because as I said, energy consumption really is critical, or has been critical in Berlin. Um, had it not been for the full course yellow obviously that was another turning point had it not been for the full course yellow I'm sure we would have seen drivers run out of energy Mm. Um, I think the turning point really was Degrassi passing Buemi and building a gap and then having a lead of 1.5 seconds, maybe 1.3 seconds and just a little bit of a buffer and that was the turning point in his race Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of another Really exciting. part Well, why, of while ride. you think
1: about it, that yeah. full course yellow was, of course, caused by Alex Lynn stopping oh, yeah. out on the track with, yeah. w- with uh, what uh, he was unable to diagnose, but said it was a seized rear axle on the radio. Um, and Alex Lynn comes from Essex. Johnny Herbert came from Essex. Both are utterly, uh, utterly luckless in their form of motorsports, or have been. <laughs> um, but. This time around, Alex Lynn showed that he's got the pace to really exploit the Jaguar when he's happy with it. Uh, It seemed to be the first time that he was genuinely happy with the Jaguar. Um, So, would you say that he's one of the drivers that we can look out for making big improvements in the last part of the season?
0: Absolutely, yeah. He's made huge steps forward in the last few races. He started out in Rome, obviously, replacing Nelson Piquet Jr., And ever since then he, of course, was out of a Formula E car for about half a year, a bit bit more than that. He Mm. was in the version, of course, in Season 4, and didn't do any pre-season testing for any team, didn't do any races for any team in the meantime. So Rome was his first time in the car in any Gen 2 Formula E car, and he's been so quick in learning how to adapt his driving style to the type of car he has. And Rome was okay for a first time. We moved on to Paris, he improved. Monaco, he improved. And he always eked a bit closer in terms of pace uh, in comparison to his teammate, Mitch Evans. Hmm. And now for the first time in his fourth race with Jaguar, he's actually beaten Mitch Evans on track. And um, that's really impressive. He had the pace for maybe a top-five finish possibly if if we throw energy management into it, had it not been for well, the focus Yellow of course, but had we not had that, maybe he was on course for a top five, top four, possibly with a lot of luck, top three finish. He certainly had the pace, maybe not the the efficiency, but he had the raw pace of being one of the top point scorers today. Mm. Which is why it's even even more sad to see him retire at the halfway point of the race.
1: Hmm. Um, Sebastian Bremi who finished second laughed off uh, the idea that the Nissan <laughs> pa- the <laughs> Nissan powertrain is anything in particular to shout about but again it uh, it took pole um, this time by 0.4 seconds o- over a uh, 67 second lap um, which which is quite a lot. It's um a lot, yeah. it, But um, how much of that was Buemi, how much of that was the powertrain?
0: Hmm. About 60% Buemi, maybe 40% the powertrain. Buemi is a fantastic driver but we have to keep in mind that Berlin is possibly one of the best circuits for Nissan in this year. Lots of slower corners, hairpins and long straights afterwards and that's really where the Nissan shines. And um, yeah, we're now looking outside of the window and we're sitting practically in turn nine. And that's the ideal corner for Nissan. If you were to define a corner where Nissan is great, that would be the turn where Nissan would improve in terms of, of pace and time I mean, compared to all the others. And Berlin had a lot of these these corners around the circuit. We had turns two and three, maybe with a short straight, uh, the tunnel wasn't here sadly I really mm. missed the tunnel that was great last year, the tunnel was fantastic <laughs> but um, these sorts of corners that's where the Nissan really shines so I'd say he had a home advantage with his powertrain but he still is a great driver and when he hooks up a, a lap, it's a great lap
1: mm. Antonio Felix da Costa was second for a while uh, mm. then got passed by uh, Boemi and passed by Jeff as well uh, we'll come back to Vern because his uh, drive up from ninth on the grid was epic in every way but um, da Costa is still just about barely in the conversation for the title um, he needs a win in one of the he, last three rounds yeah, doesn't he, to, he to, to have any chance
0: absolutely yeah the thing is I don't really see it coming it's It's a bit weird, BMW, they aren't bad, in any way they aren't bad but it seems as if they were still in the South American part of the year and all the other teams improved coming out of South America, or maybe Marrakesh, that was the last really good race for BMW. They had strong showings of pace obviously in in the meantime but I get the impression, without having any evidence for that, but just my gut feeling is that they technically are still on the level of their Moroccan pace and all the other teams improve their, their software and all the things you can change in a season um, and it's not a matter of them becoming worse over the, in the course of the year but the others improving more quickly than them
1: one thing that has been said is that uh Andretti haven't um, haven't got that much experience of leading from the front of running a front-running team and that maybe it's growing pains. Uh, do you think this is something that can improve next season and, and in subsequent seasons? Or, hmm. you know, w- will we ultimately see BMW going alone as Porsche have?
0: <sighs> I thought that when BMW joined Fulnery. I thought they were going to keep on... And actually, just like Audi, kept on Apt for the first first couple of months, and then, I mean, technically speaking, Apt is still the team behind Audi, but it's mostly Audi engineers and mechanics now working for the Apt company. And the same might happen with um, where was that with Renault and, and Nissan, obviously mm. exchanging engineers and all of that. They've. The Renault engineers became part of the DAMS team and they're technically employed by DAMS, I think. That's mm. the case with Audi and APT. They are employed by APT by but are working for Audi. It's all a bit weird and that's the vision I once had for, for BMW and Andretti's engineers then being employed by BMW one day and ultimately disappearing into the background until you can't see Andretti anymore. I'm not sure about whether that's still true for the near future because now I have the impression that Andretti still is a core part of the team. And Hmm. we had Roger Griffiths before involved in the team. He is not a member of the BMW team. He is Andretti. And so are many engineers. I'm sure BMW are bringing more and more expertise into the team. But... It feels right now, in this moment, as if Andretti had and will have more of a presence than Apt and Dams have with uh, Audi and Nissan. I mean, it's it's odd in a way
1: how different the requirements are for winning in Formula E, because Andretti obviously has been winning in IMSA, has been winning in IndyCar. So what is different about being a winning Formula E team?
0: Good question. I mean... The operational side, all the admin stuff, is, it should be about the same. Hmm. Maybe it's, it's the technology. They haven't had the luck. I remember them in Season 2 trying to develop their first powertrain, but ultimately then reverting back to the standard uh, Spark powertrain. Uh, oh no, Renault powertrain. That, uh, the Renault built the powertrain for Season 1 and offered it for Season 2. And Andretti tried to build their own, realized, what we've done, that's not good. We're reverting back to, to the Renault powertrain for, for the second year. And that might have been where all the problems started. And they've mm. been on the back foot ever since.
1: I I, yeah. I genuinely thought, though, looking at Valencia testing and looking at uh, Adria and Marrakesh, what we were going to see was a Mercedes-style dominance of this season by yeah, BMW. That's what I thought as well. Um, I yeah. think uh, I, I think the fact that we didn't see that uh, is testament to how Formula E's shall we say randomisation of, um, of of the qualifying and um, you know results process has made things um, more entertaining. But uh, also just the fact that they're not as good as Toto Wolff's Mercedes at handling being at the front um, I mean I've, um, it's difficult to know um, of any time when uh, the Mercedes Formula 1 team have had something happen you know since the Hamilton Rosberg days I mean th- <laughs> they, they wouldn't allow anything like Marrakesh to happen um, and when, when Da Costa complained recently about how um, he felt that uh, the exact words, words he used were I, I'm not sure that the best driver and best car will win the title this season which mm. I, which which you could take any way you want but I took as meaning I think I should be in front well he could be in front because that win in Marrakesh would have given him the points he needed at that time to be in front Absolutely, surely
0: yeah. he, he retired right yeah he had the retirement and if he had 25 more points where would he be in the championship now let me think he's Oh, let's look that up. Um, Where's Antonio Felix Acosta? Um, Let's see. Stuart is doing the research now.
1: Yes. um, (laughs) So I'm just looking it up on my uh, laptop standings. And... Very good. He he had 89, I think it was, but let's just double check.
0: So that's still close to the top. So about fourth or fifth in the championship. Right, so... um, but 89 plus 25 points from Marrakesh, that would be the lead in the championship right now.
1: Well, yes. Uh, so, so uh, Antonio Felix Costa has 80 turn, 82, which is 20 points behind, so absolutely he would be in front. He would
0: be in front, yeah.
1: And um, we, we would, instead of talking about a you know, development drop-off from Andretti BMW, we'd be talking about um, more, more of a Brawn GP-style 2009 rearguard action. I mean, <laughs> um, for those who weren't You know, uh, watching Formula One in 2009, Jenson Button won the first five or six races of that season, and then um, didn't win anything after that. And he he somehow held on to the points lead that he needed uh, through being consistent. I think that that could have been the alternative story of BMW i Andretti's season. I mean, thoughts?
0: Ooh, thoughts. Um, Thing is, they haven't dropped off. As much as Braun GP did it back in 2019. They were still in the hunt, and Braun was always near the front. And. Ah, oh, it's difficult to tell. Hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say there's a resemblance between the two, Though no. I think. I really have to think about that one. Hmm. Hmm.
1: But uh, while, you think, while I think about it, some of the people had, had a difficult or um, poor races, I mean, Robin Frines, um needed mm. these points, uh, Virgin needed the points actually, and uh, Sylvain Felipe said um, he was not comfortable with the qualifying and um, he felt that Robin in particular had shown a lot of pace over the weekend um, up until that point in practice and... Uh, it, it, it just didn't convert in qualifying um, he's disappointed because they have the pace and yet uh, you know, they're capable of getting the, the odd smattering of wins but they're not capable yeah. of pulling together uh, regular finishes um, wh- why is that do you think with, with, with Virgin this I season I don't
0: know I've been asking the same question ever since Sanya I think that was the point in time where things went downhill with Virgin with the exception of course of, of Paris where they won and um, but ever since the China race, Virgin haven't really been like the same they've been in the first couple of races. They've never really been like the strongest horse informer this year. They've always been playing the dark horse role. And that might help them towards the end of the year. So I think there's still lots of potential in the Virgin. Um no pun intended um, um, I still think there's a lot of potential for the team although we're not really seeing it because they're at the moment not scoring the, the points if that mm. makes any sense so they have more performance than they are showing In
1: some ways what we're seeing is um, big steps forward for the teams that have the either the experience in developing great cars, or have the resources to develop great cars? I'm thinking about how Tecate looked good in the first race and then dropped back a bit, and now they arguably have the fastest car. Um, uh, they they have they've had setbacks in qualifying and they've had setbacks uh, with uh, Jeff being a bit of a wally in some races, but um, and and same for Andre, but you know when they've pulled it together they quite possibly have the best package there um jeff by the way started ninth finished third, third. and that was an incredible race performance from the guy uh he pulled off a number of really um daniel ricardo red bull yeah. dive bombs at the same corner um is is there a side to jeff do you think who um Although he loves qualifying at the front and leading from the front, he secretly enjoys scrapping it out in the middle. Of
0: course. Everyone does. It's good racing. Jeff had a good race, not in the sense of him having a good result, that too, but he had a good and fun race, I think. And I think he really enjoyed that one. And any driver would enjoy overtaking cars it's coming from P9 and finishing the race on the podium. Anyone would enjoy that.
1: It's, it's sort of like now he's uh, got the two wins, uh, he's, he's he's got his old title confidence back.
0: That's true, yeah. He's back on form of the end of last season. Because
1: yeah. in, in the middle races, he, he looked like someone who was lost, effectively. It's,
0: remember Chile, Santiago, mm-hmm. qualified at the back. Of course, that was down to the qualifying system. But then got tangled up with Da Costa and his teammate, Andre Lotterer, mm-hmm. And that was without question the what's the opposite of a highlight? Low light?
1: I guess it must I be. I guess
0: it must be a low light. That surely has been the low light of his season. Hmm. Um, yeah, but he is now bouncing back and he's improving and improving and constantly improving and hmm. the drive he had today um, might be an indicator of what to expect in the next few races
1: yeah venturi uh, eduardo motara 11th mm. uh, felipe massa 15th um i actually not where they want to be i actually sent some interview questions to their press officer uh, one of which was um essentially something around how it feels uh, to mortara mm. to be in the conversation for the title well we can we can ink that one out because he's not <laughs> in the conversation anymore um, what, what do you think has gone into venturi's drop-off is it is it just is it just simply that they are a small team they don't have that massive manufacturer backing and a bit like andretti they don't have that uh, reputation stroke record of being able to develop a winning car every time
0: it might be a mixture of these two I think the Venturi team need luck to be successful or really successful they are good for decent points maybe the second half of the top 10 top 10 ranks in the end but they need luck to be on the podium. Massa Mm. had luck with the qualifying in in Monaco. He had a fantastic lap obviously Um, he knows the circuit and um, that was all down to himself having a great lap in qualifying and um, same applies to Edo winning in uh, Hong Kong right mhm uh yeah. we had the luck with Andre Lotra being taken out by Sam Bird and Sam Bird then being penalized
1: well yeah i, I mean of course we we now know that Andre Lotra braked too soon and deliberately deliberately allowed Sam Bird to drive into the back of him um yeah, um, yeah um, so, um, or that's what Sam Bird fanboys might tell you anyway yeah um, but it, yeah, yeah uh, no.
0: the thing is, Venturi need luck to be really successful this year. They're a decent team this mm. year, and they've always been a, a decent team. But they they need bit of, a bit more luck than other teams need to be a great team this year.
1: You say that, but oh my word, they've come a long way since season one and being Leonardo DiCaprio's Venturi, Absolutely, haven't they?
0: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and we talked about that like last night, and they they've really come of age. They are now... I'm not sure if they've... Of course, they needed time to learn how to lead a race team. And every team, of course, needed time to learn how, how to Formula E, basically. But mm. Venturi needed a bit longer for that simply because they are such a small team. And they've really come of age. And that's got nothing to do with Leonardo DiCaprio leaving. But <laughs> they've, they are literally a different team compared to what they were in season one Hmm. Um,
1: I I think they've got lucky in a way with uh, Felipe Massa working out reasonably well for them Hmm. he's he's not been uh, one of the leading lights of the season and he has taken his time to adapt as would anyone but um, when, you compare, when you compare him to the last time that the boss of Venturi appointed one of his mates as a driver, that was Jacques Villeneuve, and that worked hmm. out terribly for them. So,
0: oh, yeah. it, it, again, it's
1: a, <laughs> it, it's a real improvement in decision-making, I think, generally.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Now, one thing, what a question I have for you. Go what on. did you think of the attack man, in Berlin?
1: I thought the attack mode zone was uh, in a very inconvenient place for drivers. Um, It was on the outside of a corner, and actually many drivers, at least two, probably more that weren't caught on camera, engaged attack mode and lost a position and then had to regain it in the following corner. Um, Jeff did it and then got straight on the radio and said, why did you tell me to engage attack mode? (laughs) Um, And um, who who, who else was doing it? I I forget. But anyway, it was... um, it, it was, again, attack mode as it was supposed to be, because attack mode is supposed to be difficult to engage without losing position, and I feel like this Berlin course gave the Formula E organisers and promoters the chance to do what they wanted to do with a Gen 2 race, you know?
0: Yeah, that's true. And attack mode always was suppo- wasn't supposed to be an advantage for a driver, but it was supposed to be a strategic element, a replacement for the pit stop, and a strategic element can either mean you have an advantage by having 25 kilowatts more or a disadvantage and uh, by, by having to go a long way around the corner, I think about 20 metres it was in Berlin, um, off the ideal line. So that's the strategic element. Either you have to take some sort of penalty mm. by activating attack mode and then dealing with it and trying to make the best of it or trying to make the best of having more power than your competitors and uh, using that as a positive strategic element.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about the track. I mean, um, somebody actually said to me on Twitter today that uh, um, as I think he put it, these the, these converted airfield circuits leave him cold. I, I pointed out at that stage that Silverstone and Sebring um, um, <laughs> don't seem to be an issue, but um, the, 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 po- the point he was making was that, um, you know, this, this bumpy corrugated concrete that we have at Tempelhof, which by the way, is the airport used in the Berlin Airlift, something I'm correct in saying. Um, you know, historic place, but not much has changed since uh, 1945. And it's just, um, it's just a different kind of surface to what we would get on a pristine circuit. I can see where the purists are coming from on this, because, you know, you've got these wonderful cars being used on... Sub-optimal, sub-optimal surfaces to try and, again, create that element of uh, randomness and to bring to bring the action to cities, to bring the action to um, um, temporary circuits. Would you, would you like to see Formula E cars run at full whack on um, smooth tarmac a bit more or um, do, do you actually like the randomness that comes from I bumpy like the, concrete?
0: I like the, ra- the randomness yeah, Especi- especially because formula cars are constructed to be run on these sorts of, of tarmac or um, asphalt or wherever they're running. Formula cars aren't supposed to be driving on smooth F1 style asphalt, they're supposed to be on bumpy circuits they have suspensions that are similar to rally cars Practically, um, although they, the circuits are improving. Of course, I remember the uh, area in Paris where they had the new temporary asphalt put down mm-hmm. over the cobblestones. That's really, really smooth asphalt, and Marie is doing fine there as well. But the cars are designed to, with the inten- the cars are designed with the intention of having them run at the circuits like this one in Templehof, where I mean it's not that bumpy, but I think, which circuit was really bumpy? Santiago was really bumpy, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And 4E cars were designed to run on circuits like Santiago, for example.
1: I mean, I can only judge from the TV, but Santiago looks bumpier than Berlin,
0: actually. Absolutely, yeah. The thing about Berlin is there's not that much undulation, and that smooths things out quite literally as well. Uh, it's not a smooth circuit, but there's no up and down on the circuit. There's no... Yeah, no, no change in, in altitude between one corner to the next. So, mm. um, The only issue drivers were afraid of having was uh, the abrasiveness, of course, of the tarmac. But that didn't really seem to be too much of a factor towards the end of the race. That might have had something to do with the four-course yellow and them being able to save tyres as well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, Dilbag Gill said it was going to be all about tyre degradation, but we didn't really yeah, hear the drivers complaining about the tyres at all, did yeah. we?
0: And I, I asked a couple of drivers about that as well, and they all said, it, of, of course, the tyres did degrade uh, to some extent, and of course the cars were more lively towards the end of the race in comparison to the beginning of the race but it wasn't as bad as they feared Hmm. Um, and the energy consumption as well, I thought that was going to be a huge factor in Berlin but it really wasn't, that was of course because of the full course yellow but these two things drivers were afraid of didn't sadly uh, if I might add um, come to come to reality in the end
1: yeah um, I, I want to talk about you for a second because um, we, um, we've, we've, we've talked a bit about what, what, it takes huh. to, what it takes to be a content creator in Formula E in 2019 um, we've talked about that in previous podcasts and um, without going into the story I know from last night that you have quite a lull worthy story about how you, <laughs> how you actually got into uh, Formula E reporting but what made you stay? I mean, what what is it about Formula E that makes you want to want to come to races here and not try for F1 or WEC or something else?
0: It's the great racing. Of course, I'm. Of ever since I've started following Formula E, I've become more environmentally um, concerned. Of course, that's that's a side effect of following FE and today that's also a thing that keeps me here uh, formerly having the aim of not changing the world of course but playing their part and playing more of a part than other other series do but it's mainly the great racing and um, I can understand not really understand because hmm, difficult I see where people are coming from and when they are arguing that there's no sound and that circuits are dull and whatever I disagree I totally disagree but um, I see where they're coming from kind of mm. but the grazing is great and that's enough of a reason to, to watch FE in my opinion
1: by the way digressing one, one of the things that uh, uh, one of the things you can't get from um, being at home but you can get from being here is an insight into um, how people drive electric cars um, now Simon Evans, the Jaguar I Pace Trophy driver, said that uh, the big uh, difficulty for him coming into the series was not being able to judge his own speed and braking distances because, you know, you can't use the engine note as a guide anymore. Mm, yeah. um, <laughs> and it, it's it's just those little foibles which uh, you, you get, I think, from being at a place.
0: Yeah, I never mm. thought about that. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: It, it is, but um, yeah. <laughs> but by the way, so by the way, Simon Evans, um, lo- lovely guy. Uh, I, I think from the, um, I, I assumed that his brother would have helped him to Mitch Evans would have helped him to uh, uh, to um, you know kind of blend into the Formula E paddock. But apparently they they hardly see each other during race weekend because it's usually so hectic. Anyway, um, mm. ni- nice chap. But um,
0: and he looks exactly like Mitch. The well, resemblance between them is. Yeah, it's striking.
1: It's almost like they come from the same family or something. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be impressive. But um, you're actually a local from Berlin, so um, (laughs) what what effect does this race have on the community? Because I was in Tegel Airport and very few people in Tegel seem to be particularly fussed by the Formula E event I know if if there's anything on in any British city then generally the city (laughs) is hell to be in but Berlin seems to be happening as normal around us
0: that's right yeah Berlin I mean how many people do live in Berlin three and a half million Mm. so we can't bring them all into the paddock which would be fantastic having three and a half million people at at an event that'd be great but um, the locals in the south of Berlin they know that Formula E is happening I think all of Berliners know it's happening because Formula E has been on a huge promotion spree, if that's if that's a term. Uh, they've been doing radio shows in Berlin, joining their morning shows on the, on the radio over the last couple of days and just advertising the race happening. So Bel- Berliners do know about Formula E. And the great thing about affecting the community of course with Tempelhof is that there are no residents being affected by it because there are no houses and apartments nearby Um, the park is still open Tempelhof Airfield is a public park and the race is happening on the apron of the old airport and that's usually close to the public Uh, so we're not, not disrupting anyone in any way in Berlin and that's why it's been in my, in my impression pretty popular with, with the locals mm. it's been a different story uh, in season 2 on Marx where there were people living and there were um, local government groups who weren't happy with it, it was similar to Battersea Park pretty much mm. and them wanting not the park but the streets for themselves, they were planning on on having bicycle uh, paths there, and uh, that was blocked by the local government, So the government of the government of the of the district of Berlin. So not the city of Berlin, but the district of Berlin. They uh, were governed by someone other than those who were. It's really complicated. Hmm. So. Basically, the Green Party wanted to put bicycle paths there. They weren't in government, and then the German equivalent of the Tory party, they were. The Christian Democrats. The Christian Democrats, right. They were in. uh, Yeah, they had the task of governing that part of Berlin at the time. I think I'm. Is that even true? I don't know. But there were some political things Hmm. going on about the bicycle paths. And these uh, uh, were blocked and instead we had a Formula E race there and people said, well, that's a bit of a wrong impression. It's well, weird.
1: I mean, actually, it's I weird. giggled, but, you know, bicycle paths are not nothing. Uh, uh, hmm. would, you, would you agree that any city you can get around in on bicycle is generally a city where people are happy?
0: That's true, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Scandinavia, mm-hmm. they either have electric cars or bicycles. Um, and They tend to be more happy. And I have the impression that people in Berlin are tending to ride their bicycles more than people in Munich, for example. And that might just be a thing because I'm a Berliner, but I think people from Berlin are happier than people from Munich and from Bavaria. Hmm. They are weird people from Bavaria. They're really (laughs) weird.
1: (laughs) But uh, how how different is it to just be able to, um, you know rock up on your regular public public transport system to see a race rather than mm. having to trek to another side of Europe to see it uh, is it a different feeling because uh, yeah um, because when when it's a music festival in the city where I live right now um, it feels odd that you've got all these people wondering how to get to a place and I'm thinking oh that's next to my flat that's very easy um, yeah. is it the same feeling for you with this race
0: absolutely yeah hmm. it's literally my home race If the race was in Hamburg, for example, or any other German city for that matter, it would be very different. But I grew up here in Berlin. I grew up on these underground lines, these buses. I was out and about in Berlin growing up, and especially in Tempelhof. My school was in the same district, the school I went to, and now I'm back here in Berlin for the Formula E race, and I'm on the old bus lines and that's just that's really weird in some way really interesting but it's lovely too. it, it feels like home not even not, not formally feels like home but the city feels like home yeah mm.
1: um, and if, if uh, how many races are you going to in a season roughly now mm, three to four okay and uh, which which ones have they been so far this season?
0: Okay, so this this year I've been to Marrakesh, mm-hmm. the second race of the season. Uh, a colleague of mine, so when we're speaking about the media outlet e D we've been to most of the races except for the Asian ones. Mm. So we've had one in Saudi Arabia, I've been to Morocco. Oh no, we haven't been to South America either, so the European races usually, these are covered by us. I've been to Rome another few have been to Paris and Monaco and now I'm back in Berlin and I'll be going to Bern as well um I'm not sure we've been doing New York before but I didn't really ever get around to doing that mainly because of financial reasons Mm. um that would be a dream though going to New York for a race not just just to see New York once yeah once in my lifetime um yeah, so these are the races I've I've been going to this year: Marrakech, Rome, Berlin, and Ban in a couple of weeks' time.
1: Speaking as a British emigre, it's going to be hmm. awfully odd if I'm covering races next season, Ooh. going to the London finale as a kind of foreigner in my own country. Yeah, that's going to be weird. Yeah, that's going to be really weird. Hmm. Yeah, um, but uh, I I have heard from somebody in the press room that there might be a place on their sofa so I look forward to that if that's <laughs> going to be the case um, but I mean with with eyes on next season are there any races that you would like to go to that you're not going to this season?
0: London? Mm-hmm. I mean that's not happening this season because yeah. it's not on the calendar I would love to go to Hong Kong mm. once just just for the city. The race is okay but the city must be fantastic New York of course Mm -hmm. if I could I'd go to every race that's out of the question if I could and had the money for it maybe or had had the time Mm. that's also a hindering factor there if I had the time for it I'm still going to uni um I'd be going to every race but next on my bucket list is apart from London I think Hong Kong
1: right well here's hoping you get there um for, for people who haven't been to the uh, Berlin EPRI or haven't been to an EPRI at all, um, is, is there something unique uh, that should make them come? Because probably there are people who've been to other race meetings and they don't like standing around in bobble hats in the cold, um, um, in, 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 in the mud. So, what's different about an EPRI? Uh,
0: an EPRI is an event for families instead of for motorsport enthusiasts. Mm. So Formery is built, or the the entertainment side of Formery is is built on the idea of having families there instead of motorsport purists and enthusiasts. And so we have activities for children in the E-Village. And here in Berlin we had companies having visions for futuristic cars and... Flying taxis and whatever they were exhibited here, and it seemed very forward-looking. Mm. Uh, the village this time out, and it's always been that.
1: Should probably mention uh, Nico Rosberg's green tech exhibition was next door mm. to us, yeah. and um, uh, actually they they had completely their own event. People, uh, they 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 were uh, totally separate to Formula E, but also cooperating. You know, in in and obviously having the same message but did you go to green tech did you uh, find anything that uh, interesting or notable there
0: i sadly, sadly didn't go to the awards ceremony ceremony last night um they were given out the so-called green awards hmm. for visions for the future and people who are aiming at changing the world for the better uh, the crown prince of Norway was here, for example. He is one of... of uh, I think Norway is the, the partner country this year. Mm. So he was here as well. Many celebrities, um, especially from Germany, of course, actors. Uh, internationally, Nena might have been the most popular. 99... Mm-hmm. 99- Uh, Red Balloons Red Balloons, yeah, she was here Yeah, yeah, so that happened yesterday The only thing I experienced in the Green Tech exhibition uh, was me walking through the exhibition grounds and having a look there but not for too long because I was tired on Friday night and... Thursday night, sorry, and wanted to get home. Mm-hmm. But I had a look. Did yes. you have a look?
1: Uh, I I didn't because <laughs> I, I was planning to, but uh, there were just too many lovely people to speak to in this media centre and to speak to nah. uh, in the pit lane in nah. the paddock. Um, and it, it just... Um, it, it was too difficult to cover the Formula E and to spend time in race world and to get across there as well but yeah. um next year maybe i'll get the chance to cut loose a bit more if i'm if i'm back here um but if you could have an epi on the for, this is the final question really if you could have an epri on the calendar um in a place that has not been considered by the organizers so far where would it be um i i wrote an article about this and i I even went as far as very nerdishly drawing uh, track, track maps uh, in places. I, I'd love to see Palu in South Estonia chosen uh, mm. be- because uh, there, there is actually a hotel, the Spa Hotel, which uh, um, has a roundabout which could be an excellent hairpin for um, for plenty of snarl ups between Sam Bird <laughs> and Andre Lotterer. But um, also Tromso in Norway, although the, the best. Mm. You know, during Formula E season times, the, the best the temperature gets is about 12 degrees, so maybe that would be too cold for the tyre temperature. Really yeah. Is there a place?
0: Um, I think it's a question of time until we're going to Scandinavia, right? Mm. I've been to Stockholm in March this year, and Stockholm was amazing. And I was walking through Stockholm and was thinking about where to put corners, because there are great backdrops in Stockholm, and the streets look as if they were designed for for Marie
1: oh my lord yes and, and also there's an island in the middle of the city because uh, like it's it's basically like three parts with one part in the middle of the river mm-hmm. that part in the middle of the river um, as far as I could tell from you know um, strolling around there it was essentially government offices so most people did not live there or, or not yeah. many people did live there so I think that that would be an ideal Stockholm place to have from right, an right, e-race because minimum disturbance as well um and but stockholm's wonderful the, the only thing is formula e would need to take place in the middle of summer for it to be viable we are probably moving towards a 16 race calendar potentially going into the summer aren't we so in a few years time why not i guess yeah
0: maybe put it to the towards the end of the european leg Mm. March was really freezing it was snowing and it was icy it was the weekend of the Hong Kong I watched the Hong Kong race from Stockholm Mm. and that was really cold but I think temperatures in Norway in Norway, Sweden uh, Norway maybe as well but Sweden should be okay to have a race there by this time of the year we have, what date is it 25th of May I think Temperatures should be okay towards the end of the European leg. Hmm. Yeah.
1: All right. Well. Um, so, t- Toby Bloom, you're uh, on. Uh, I'm going to get it right this time. e 4 <laughs> um the German, not the Estonian website. And um, <laughs> if if any English language listeners want to find your work, have you produced English language work recently?
0: Um, I've written a couple of blog pieces. Yeah. Um, I always kind of keep taps on, on the English-spoken and on the English spoken world in journalism, I've been writing for Formula E-Zone back in the day, I think 2015 I wrote a couple of pieces for Formula mm-hmm, E-Zone. Mm-hmm. That's when it all started. Um, and ever since then I've kind of been keeping taps on, on the English-speaking world. I've got a blog where I irregularly put up articles, interview leftovers. Um, that's possibly the only English English stuff I write nowadays the easiest thing or if you really want to read stuff that I do in English just follow me on Twitter mm-hmm. Toby, at TobyTweetings shamelessly self-plugging myself but that's the place where I am most active in English
1: great um, I'm Stuart Garlick. Uh, this is Toby Bloom. Uh, you can follow the Talking Podcast on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Transistor, and all good um, and some bad, I'm sure, uh, podcast uh, platforms. Um, thank you very much.